Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. to Draft Sickos on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I am Maxwell Baumbach. This is a show where we cover everybody from the biggest names to the deepest sleepers. And today, our guest is the draft and NBA draft analyst at Yahoo Sports and a contributor for Rival. She is Kristen P. Kristen, how are you doing tonight? I'm, gr- I'm glad you caught me at home. I've been on the road so much. And so when you asked me to do this, I was like, great. I'm not going to be in some <laughs> random city, like trying to get through this through like, shoddy internet connection so mm-hmm. no thanks so much for having me I'm, I'm happy to be here yeah it's a pleasure and that's a big part of why we're such a big fan of of the work that you do is because you are always on the road you're putting in serious scouting hours but on the ground as well like you were on the ground today uh so yep. yeah we are big fans of you here at no ceiling so we're super super excited to have you on um we're gonna kick things off with our winners of the week segment talk about some guys who really went off this week. And the big one, uh, and someone that we talked a little bit about uh, in the lead up to putting together this podcast is Cody Williams at Colorado. He is back with a vengeance. I uh, had a huge game against Oregon uh, earlier in the week, 23 points on 13 shots, went three for four from three in that game, was looking really assertive with his shot, two blocks and a steal also. Follows up with another great game against Oregon State, 16 points on 10 shots, two for three in that one. Another two steal performance for him as well. Uh, interesting season for Cody Williams. Obviously, super, super efficient uh, early on in the year, but it was hard to know how much was small sample. He has this injury, and then he comes back, and it's it's conference play, it's go time, and he is immediately just kind of knocking it out of the park. Uh, what have your what have been your impressions of Cody Williams throughout the year, and then this little post injury run that we got to see from him? Let me say this about Cody is like in high school at USA basketball, he's always been that player where he's not the flashiest on the court, but you, you know, look down at the stat sheet either at the end of the game or, you know, the halftime and he has an efficient, an efficient, like you said, 23 points on 12 to 13 shots. Like he's not forcing a lot. And I think the reason why it took him so long 
to get to where he is now, not only the injury, but it was, he was taking his time to adjust to the system and really get to learn it and not just like go balls to the wall. Like, okay, I need to prove myself right away, right away, right away. Because that's not who he is as a player. That's not who his brother is a player. That's never who he's been. Like he was one of the late bloomers in high school. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to say shot up from like a top 60, top 75 player to a top 10 McDonald's all American hoop summit, you know, type of caliber player. And he has just been so even keel throughout his entire career. I mean, Tad Boyle loves him because he plays the right way. He has a great attitude. He doesn't even know how good he is yet. And for that reason alone, especially in a draft like this, where there's a lot of question marks across the board, as you know, like he is number one for me right now. He's going to be number one in my next mock draft. And when I, when I bounce that off NBA scouts, they don't Mm -hmm. be like, Oh, that's a hot take KP. They're just like, Mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, yeah. Cody Williams. Yeah. That that's possible. You know, a better defending Hayden McDaniels. Great. I'll take him. Yeah, that's that's the thing is that one reason that I was hesitant to be I was a little bit lower on Cody to like prior to the start of the college season. Uh, But one thing that I thought just kind of immediately became transparent is that when you are six, eight like that, you have the wingspan that he has and you know how to play like the failure rate is exceptionally low. Like guys, just like once you're that big and you know what you're doing out there, it it tends to work out pretty well. Um, But what what we've seen from him is just yeah that that high level of feel i love how he's played defensively since he has come back i I wrote a feature on him a little bit earlier on in the draft cycle and one thing i noted was like i'm i'm whelmed with the defense like i didn't think it was fantastic i didn't think it was bad i thought that with just his level of understanding and ability to process the game and size like he he was going to be a good nba defender i had no doubts about that um but like mentally, I kept thinking about the scene in the Sandlot where the kid's mom is like, go out there, like skin your knees, like whatever. Like he felt fundamental to a fault at times. And like now that we're getting to see him doing some defensive playmaking, it's like, that's that's what I want to see from you. When you have that size and awareness, like put it into use and, and create some havoc, force some mistakes on the other end, block some shots, meet guys at the rim. Uh, and that that's become more uh, just a, a more frequent occurrence as part of his game. Uh, but the two the two things on offense that I love, the assertiveness with a shot. He has been so much quicker to get it off, even when he's not like hugging the line with his toes and just how easy it is for him to get inside. We had a, a question from runner dude that I'm going to throw up on the screen here. How do you rate him in ball handling compared to other wings in this class? I don't think the handle is anything like crazy, but I think he takes big, long strides. And I think he has a great sense of the defender's momentum. I think he really knows how to be shifty and how to get players off balance. And his touch is so good. Like even if, even though he's not all the way filled out from a frame standpoint yet, it feels like he's a guy that when you make contact with him, he doesn't wilt and he doesn't lose that touch on the ball. So those are some things I've liked about him, but how how do you feel about him from a a ball handling perspective? And well, I'll say this, he's not one of the players where I'm like holding my breath when he's dribbling the ball, like in the open court or off the PNR. Like, I'm not like, oh my gosh. And you know, he's not, he's not like a turnover prone wing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've watched a player recently where it's like I see him in a half court set and he plays the same position and I'm like don't put the ball on the ground just (laughs) just pass it get to your spot get to the cut use your mismatch use your side like I don't feel that same anxiety with Cody just because Mm -hmm. he's such a smart player and like 
for as nice as a kid as he is, he is tough on the court. Yeah. Like there was a time at USA basketball where they were scrimmaging and it was, you know, he, Tad Boyle's the head coach of the team, right? So everyone's like, okay, he's going to make the team, but he's still fighting for his spot, right? And he gets knocked down and it was a hard foul. And he like stood up right away. Like he stood nose to nose with the opposing player, right? You know, so it's like, okay, Cody Williams, like you got a little bit that. of dog in you. Like, yeah. And it was front of the NBA scouts. They're like, oh, didn't, didn't know he had that side in him. And that's like, those little surprises that you see, like he's not a pushover. He's a competitor. Mm -hmm. He plays the right way. And the fact that like his older brother, yes, he doesn't have the same size. Obviously he's younger and he still needs to develop a little bit, but like seeing, you know, how well his brother's been playing mm -hmm. and, you know, you do the Intel in the background on the family, there's no red flags. He's going to be a great locker room guy. He's very coachable. It's like, okay, he passes it. He passes the test. Like, he is definitely, I think, in consideration for the top pick in this draft. Yeah, I, th I think he really should be. Um, one question I kind of want to bounce off of you is that, and it's something that, like, just from an evaluation standpoint, I've been a little tripped up on with him, is the, like, the rebounding numbers haven't been great for somebody his size. Um, but then occasionally he'll just, like, snake in on the offensive glass and get, like, a beautiful putback. Um, what do you make of the rebounding? Like, do you think that's just a thing where his frame is going to fill out. Do you think it's the team playing with KJ Simpson, like an active rebounding guard and De Silva and a, a large man, like an Eddie Lampkin, who's just going to boss people around inside. Do you think it's situational or is it something where like, Hey, that's, that's kind of weird that he's not rebounding as well as you might think. I think it's, I, it's a bit of both. It's the physicality of the game. Like you said, like he's going to fill out. I mean, do you remember Jaden McDaniel? Like Jaden McDaniels was a string bean. And yep. now like what he's doing in Minnesota, people are like, Oh, he was a steal of a pick, right? And so you see the same, like, I, I know I keep bringing him up, but that is like the closest comp that I have of Cody Williams at this time. Mm -hmm. um, but like, I don't, I'm not worried about his rebounding. I don't think it's like a lazy thing. Like you said, maybe it's a situational type thing where the personnel that they have on the team that they have on the court are asking to crash the boards harder. Defensively, mm -hmm. I think it's probably just the physicality of the game and like playing against players that are three, four years older than him and stronger than him and him just having to like learn how to use his body, you know, and, and get position strategically instead of just trying to like body his way mm -hmm. to get position. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then the other thing that, that I've kind of bounced back and forth on is the jump shot. I think he is a guy that can come in and play a role immediately. Even if he is like below average as a three point shooter, as a rookie, like, Obviously, with Tumani Kamara, it's a little bit tricky because he's not on a good team. But I think at a certain point, if you have that level of size and like you know how to play, whatever, like you can just kind of stay on the court. I think Cody Williams falls into that camp, especially now that he's being a more willing shooter. Um, but how do you feel about the shot at this point in time? Because I I was a little more wishy-washy about it, but after seeing the last couple of games, I'm I'm starting to buy in a bit more. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about it. I'm not like, especially with the younger prospects. Um, you know, I I think back to when Anthony Edwards was at Georgia. He didn't necessarily shoot the ball very well, and he shot at a very high volume. LaMelo Balsh only shot 27% from three-point range, you know, in his one year with the NZ Breakers. So, like, when you're looking at the sample size, particularly for one-and-done young prospects with high upside, it's more of, like, how is he – is he coachable? Can we fix his mechanics if it's just a little – like, if he's got a little hitch – 
Can we fix that? Is that fixable? Is it a Lonzo Ball crazy shot? Is that going to take more time? And then you look at Tyrese Halliburton, who still has the same funky shot, <laughs> but it's working. And so Indiana's like, you do you. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not one of those people that really like look at jump shots and shooting percentage and and drop them in stock value because of that. Unless you know it, it it's like alarmingly bad Severely, but i don't yeah. think his is for sure um so yeah so cody williams gonna be number one on your next board very interesting he's a guy that i yeah like i've had pretty much top 10 since since play started and yeah like he he has to be in that mix at, at a certain point just based on sheer production but also the upside with the fact that you mentioned like he's a late bloomer so like if you want to like knock the fact that he's skinny and like the physicality whatever like those guys just fill out later he just stopped growing uh like leonard miller was one of the guys he was skinny a year ago jade mcdaniel's like a lot of these guys it, it just takes them a little bit of time to fill out especially when they're growing kind of later on in their in their development than than some of their peers um Let's jump over to Dalton Connect. Um, I am a giant fan of Dalton Connect. Uh, people listening to this podcast probably want me to, to shut up about him. He was the guy that I covered in my Under the Radar series this offseason. Uh, huge, huge week for him. Uh, started kind of last week, actually, with a 36-point game against Georgia. Then 39 against Florida this week against Alabama yesterday. Uh, dropped 25 points. Uh, he is now at 18.8 points per game on 47.9, 40%, 83% splits. Um, really interesting player. What have you kind of made of, of connect throughout this season so far? I'll tell you what Jaime Hawkes Jr. is doing players like Dalton connect a lot of favors with how productive him and Brandon Pazinski with how productive they've been immediately in their mm -hmm. rookie year, being older established players and with Dalton specifically, like I saw him at the Maui Invitational, um, I went down to a practice to Tennessee and, you know, I had heard about him. I knew he was like a hot name in the transfer portal, um, but being able to see him and how competitive it, he is and how hard he plays, like mm -hmm. you don't, you don't understand. I, I don't think it, it translates well through the television. Like when you watch him in practice or even, you know, in a game, the way he's like fighting tooth and nail for 50 50 balls against you know like bigger players God, i can't even remember who they played at the in the maui invitational it was either like kansas with hunter dickinson or purdue with zach Eady. but yeah, he was just like yeah he had like no fear in terms of like going after boards against them and you know off a weak side rebound and um the tennessee coaching staff they told me and then dalton like confirmed this they said that he chose Tennessee over Kansas and North Carolina because he wanted to work on his defense. And that was a major, major glare, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in during his time at Northern Colorado. And so picking a defensive team like Tennessee gave him the opportunity to work under Rick Barnes, really work on his lateral movement. And it's, it's, definitely paid off i mean now we're looking at him like he was like a fringe first rounder for a while and now we're seeing him pop up in the lottery you know because people want to especially in a draft like if you're if you're not willing if you're a team you don't want to take a big swing on someone and you want to know exactly what you're going to get you know exactly what you're going to get right away from dalton connect and like i love stories like this i think it's one of the best stories in college basketball this year and the fact that he keeps growing his game and getting more and more confident. I think him and Kevin McCuller Jr. are two of the players, the older players that, you know, you just see 
their confidence grow with the more touches that they get within their respected teams. And he's delivering under pressure and also defensively has gotten a lot better. He's not perfect by any means. He still has like ways to go before he's, you know, defending in the NBA. But yeah. um, I really, really like what I've seen from him. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. And I, I threw that comment from Dirty Dancer up on the screen there uh, that he's athletic and the defense could come. Yeah, that's exactly yep. the same thing that he yep. told me this offseason when I interviewed him is that Tennessee was the team partially because Kevin Durant was his favorite player. And then number two was the, the defense thing. And I think with, uh, with the defense, I, I've seen some comments that are like, Oh, you know, the steal and block rate's still not that high and whatever. And like, I think that's true, but I think to a degree, they, they may have have to, I don't want to say deferred on the defense. It's his, his last season of eligibility, but when your role is to go be the guy who gets buckets for your team, like they're going to have to be concessions that are made on the defensive end. And I do think there's some things that need to be tied up with how he slides his feet and things like that. But at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think he's better than he was a year ago on yeah. defense, even in this role. And I, I love how he gets off the floor to contest. Like he obviously has bounce on the offensive end. Like he's one of those guys that puts up big dunk numbers every year, gets all the dunks in the half court. But the way that he's just able to explode and get shots, like I, I don't worry about him defensively at the next level once he slides into a lower role. Um, I think the other big kind of improvement area for him has been passing. And I don't like. I don't think the passing's anything crazy, but it seems like he's done a good job of adjusting to the speed of the high major game and that he's sort of figured out how to use his gravity and handoffs a little bit. He's not mm -hmm. like a point forward or, you know, a guy that I'd be like, right, we're going to run the offense through him. But it seems like when he's coming off of an action, he kind of knows like, hey, when I get this look from the defense or if they kind of blip. Or, or hedge up here's the pass that i can make to the big man to get off of it real quick like those are things that weren't quite there a year ago where it was a lot of over dribbling or you know sometimes he might turn it over like that sort of thing I, I feel like has come along for him quite a bit as well um who are are there any players that he reminds you of in the nba because there's a name i kind of want to throw out there and i'd be interested for your take on it you throw it out i am okay. the worst at comps like i am okay. literally <laughs> I was, I was, I get asked to do this from my editor, and I'm like, <laughs> I know it's, but I, they, I was never like, a big comp guy, but I, I, so I, I can do it in the sense where if it like jumps right out in front of me, and I'm like, sure. oh, that's who that is, or that's a better version of whatever, mm -hmm. then yeah, okay, you I, tell me who you think he is. So he reminds me of Ochai Baji, but with more like mid range sauce. Because, like, Ochai was a guy that was, like, he can move the ball, but, like, you didn't really want him, like, doing anything for a prolonged period of time. It was more like, hey, use your athleticism, shoot those threes, cut to the rim, drive in a straight line. Like, I think Dalton can do all of that stuff, but I think the fact that he has, like, this mid-range shot-making bag that he kind of put together during his time at Northern Colorado that we've seen at Tennessee, like, kind of gives him a little bit more upside. So, like, when I see Ochai carving out a role immediately in Utah and, and getting bench minutes every night. Like to me, it's like, why can't Dalton connect do that? And, and then some, I, I think he's behind Ochai like fundamentally as a defender, but I think on the offensive yeah. end, that's how I see the role kind of playing out. Sure. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, but like, that's the thing though. It's like yeah, Ochai went like lottery and, and what was like a better draft. So I, I guess the next question I'd have for you is like, how high would be too high? with connect on a board. Like if you're putting together a mock draft, where's the I'll point tell where you like, what, I can't quite do it yet. Or like, yeah, no, I'll do it. I mean, mm -hmm. listen, I got a mock drop in tomorrow. 
I've mm-hmm. got Dalton uh, 14. Yeah. That sounds completely reasonable. Which is in, like that's yeah. That's where Ochai went. Like fine. that's that's more than a fair range for him. And I think I think about teams like Memphis or some of these teams that just kind of feel like they're one like wing shooter away from having like the rotation just kind of nicely rounded out. I think he could fit in a lot of places like that. Yeah. Um, we're gonna go to a break. We're gonna come back on the other end here. On the other end, we're gonna talk about Jacoby Walter and Modus Bazelis. Uh, so some very fun names on the other side here. We'll be right back. Stick with us. All right. So you wanted to to bring up Jacoby Walter, and he's a guy that I've kind of really liked uh, throughout this cycle. He's very interesting. He's always been kind of near the top of my board. Uh, the Baylor wing, six foot five, having a, having a really strong. Uh, freshman season for the Bears. What kind of made you want to to discuss Jacoby and and where do you feel like you are relative to to the rest of consensus on his game? Okay, I mean, I think I'm a, probably a little higher on him, but um, it's because I've you know been watching him since he was 16. Um, he's a Texas kid, played for Trey Young Elite on the Adidas circuit, uh, played at numerous USA basketball mini camps. He never played for a team. But he's one of those kids where he gets better at every level. And when you go and you play for a team like Baylor, I don't know if you've ever been to the Baylor campus, but I have not. Players that go there, players that go there, you go there and there are like minimal distractions. There isn't a lot to do in, in Waco. The facilities are insane. The new ones that they're building are like incredible. Scott Drew, phenomenal coach, assistant, coaching staff, uh, Alvin Brooks top notch like it is a if you are a player's player and you go to Baylor you're gonna get better and like you know you you think about Keontae George who went 16 to the Jazz who I think is their best prospect you know in their rookie year Jacoby came in and filled that role right away and next year we're gonna see it once again once Jacoby leaves VJ Edgecombe is gonna come in and fill that role that Jacoby has so they have this nice like track record of these one and done high caliber talent players. And when I look at Jacoby, I'll tell you a story. I was at practice and I'm sitting talking to you Missy and he's sitting here, he's sitting here and like, I'm talking to him, but I'm looking over his shoulder because uh, Jacoby's just getting some extra shots up. He's shooting threes and there's Mm -hmm. two assistant coaches standing one rebounding and the other one tallying. And he just keeps making them and making them and making them like, I couldn't even keep track. I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I could be filming this right now. So he finally misses. And I'm like, sorry, you have like, hold on one sec. Yeah. And I said, how many was that? And the coach is like 41. And I'm like, he made 41 threes in a row. And, and I was like, is that the record? And they're like, no, it's 64. We're trying to break the record. And so like, for me to sit there and watch him make 41 threes in a row. And like, he's mm-hmm. just so laser focused on this. And the thing that we have to remember about college basketball is that teams have so much time to scout and prepare for their, their opponents. So when we see dips in games and performances with Jacoby, when his shot isn't falling, his touches are being limited, that's not necessarily on him. And I'm not worried about who he's going to be in the spacing of the NBA game because he can get a shot off anywhere. He's got great size, great instincts, high IQ. You know, it's more of like, 
the the sets, the offensive sets that he's been asked to run under Scott Drew and also like the scouting from other teams. So I'm super high on him. I'm going to eventually like they're going to come out and play BYU. I live in Utah for those that don't know. Um, they're going to come out and, be, and play BYU and I'm going to make a case for him at number one. Like there, there is a strong yep. case for him as the top prospect. Yeah. I, I, I've kind of been there with you. I, I've oscillated like a little bit as far as where I have him, but to me, I feel like if nothing else, he's a really safe bet. Like he's a guy who yes. can really shoot the cover off the ball and has some shot maker stuff to him. Like he's not a standstill catch and shoot guy. He's a if real it, good if, Yes. And if he's not number one, I don't see him falling from the top five. Mm-hmm. So, just, so there was I like mean, three things that you said that I wanted to ask you follow-up questions on because each of those yeah. was like, ooh, that's really interesting. So one of the first things that you mentioned was kind of getting to see his development over time. Like you've you've had your eyes on him for a long time. Like you do a lot of work covering these guys as they're in high school, going up USA basketball to college, the whole nine. Um, what are the things that you've seen in like his developmental trajectory that have kind of kept you encouraged and, and buying into what he can continue to become at the next level? So first of all, I mean, I would say he didn't start out as this like phenomenal three-point shooter. He was one of those like, I'm athletic, I can get to the rim whenever I want. And then when that was taken away from him, that's when he really honed in on his shooting mechanics as a catch and shoot three-point shooter. And so, but then when he was known about that, he's like, okay, I need to really study different players and how they read the PNR. I need to be more comfortable off the dribble I need to be more comfortable shooting, you know, through contact and through every step, he's really just like taken like his, like his own approach to it. And I've seen improvement throughout the way. And the thing with, with following these kids when they're so young, it's like, and this is why I think it's so important that NBA scouts are getting out to see more and more high school events and more and more AAU events because especially for the one and done prospects, like if you see them in high school and they go like, where's the camera? They go like this and then they plateau. Mm-hmm. Then you already know that they have a limited upside in the NBA. But if you mm-hmm. still see them keep going up and up and up and they're slowly, gradually adding to their game and improving and, and working on their body, then you know that they have a little bit more untapped potential and upside as an NBA prospect. And I think Cody has that. I think Jacoby has that. And I think that's why they're so highly, you know, regarded at, towards the top of the draft through um, the NBA community, the, the, the scouts that have been able to get out and watch both of them. For sure. Yeah. So then the other thing that you mentioned that I thought was uh, really insightful and, re- and something that's like really interesting. And I think a big credit to why I've remained pretty high on Jacoby is the role, like taking over sort of that Keontae George role. Like Baylor always, they always have a million guards that can really play. And like this year is no different with Jaden Nunn, three J Dennis, Langston Love coming off the bench. Like they always have those guys. Um, With Keontae, like last year, he kind of like struggled with efficiency because it's tough when you're the guy who's not necessarily the facilitator, but a lot of times like the bailout option where it's like, Hey, we did not really get anything in those first 25 seconds. Like Jacoby, go get us one. Like that is, that is really difficult. And I think that he obviously came out of the gate really hot, but where I worried about him was in that role. Sometimes you don't have as much time to get to read the floor. Like I thought Jacoby's passing was really interesting in high school. Like just showed a really good understanding of his gravity. I think that's starting to come out more now but it can almost be like a, a trap in a sense where it's like, it's a cool role to be the guy who gets to 
to be the bailout guy at the end of the clock. But at the same time, that can be really tough from an efficiency standpoint to live on that shot diet when you're the go get one guy. Um, yeah. How have you been sort of, how do you think he's done in that role? And then do you think, are you kind of like me kind of buying that there is more creation for others upside uh, when the role looks different at the next level? The thing I'll say about this, um, because you, you kind of mentioned Keontae George and like what I've known from key all the way from high school and college is like, he was a pure bucket getter. Like that dude never saw a shot. He did not love. And then all of a sudden he gets to the jazz and what he did, what he spent his entire summer doing, his mom told me this is he watched all every single jazz game from last season to try to learn the system to learn how he could come in right away and, and try to make an impact. Right. And so then we're seeing now he's more of like a facilitator and a passer, something that Keontae has never, ever been known for ever. And like leading all rookies and assist. So when I say like Jacoby is like a similar player, you know, one of the assistant coaches at, at Baylor said like, he is a meticulous, student of film. He wants to watch film after every game, whether it's a horrible loss or he played horrible and he went one for seven or whatever and like hates himself for it. He wants to watch film right away. And so when I hear of a player that is like, you know, kind of that deep into basketball and it's not just about, oh, the accolades and like, oh, I'm going to hit the ball at the end of the shot clock and create it's like, no, I'm I'm going to learn my role. And right now in college, my role is being asked to do that. But in the NBA next year, whether that's whatever team, it might be different. So it's like, how can I be productive without the ball in my hands? And I think he's mm -hmm. that type of player. It's like, and, and NBA teams, they're always looking for that. It's like, yeah, Ron Holland, you are the dude. But how productive are you? How are you helping your team win possessions when the ball is not in your hands? How good of a cutter are you off the ball? How good of a screener are you? Are you reading the defense well? You know what I mean? It's those little things because mm -hmm. we all know these kids can score. They're looking at the mental side of it and, you know, how they can contribute and for their team in a different aspect, right? Because let's be honest, anybody, I think in the top 10, no one is going to come in and be asked, you're the dude. You're yeah, the yeah, one yeah. that's going to get the ball in your hand at the end. None of them are going to be that next year. I don't mm -hmm. think. So no, it's like, how productive are they off the ball as well? And Certainly. I think Jacoby is very, very productive off the ball as well. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that it's shown in how good he is off screens, like 16 threes, uh, threes off screens this year. He's made eight of them. Um, he has that pull-up game, like just has more to him as a shooter than just a guy who is going to stand around and do nothing or a guy that right. needs the ball. Like if you're one of those two things, it can be a lot trickier uh, when you're making that transition. But Jacoby does that really well. One thing I want to touch on with him is I, I, the kind of knocks that I've seen on him are. Are you going to say, go on. Are, are you talking about the rim pressure and the finishing? I was, well, I was going to say the finishing and then, uh, that he gets burned defensively a lot. So yeah, those yes. were, the, so those are the two. Yes. I want to make a defense of the finishing first off. So I have been doing like this spreadsheet project for, for part of what we do with no ceilings plus tracking data, like going through all of these prospects historically that have had like good NBA careers. His finishing rate is good. Like he's at 63% at the rim this year. So the knock is then, well, he doesn't get to the rim a whole lot, like only 18.5% of his shots are at the rim. That is actually a very good number for his archetype. Like he gets to the rim more than Moses Moody. He gets to the rim more than Max Struess. 
Yeah. He gets there more than Edmund Bain did, more than Cam Reddish, Duncan Robinson, Malik Monk, Devin Vassell. Like, I I get that it's like, it would be great if he could just blow by guys and get to the rim every single time. Um, but I still don't think he's like doing a bad job of it to the point where I'm like gravely concerned about him struggling at the NBA level because of it. Are, are you in a similar spot with that? Or are you like, I, I don't know. Are you more concerned about it? No, I'm not concerned at all. No, the only the, the one the one glaring thing is is definitely defensively, like how yeah, yeah. players blow by him a lot. Like I was at the mm-hmm. Duke game at Madison Square Garden, and um, and a scout came up to me, and and their I don't know assistant or GM or whatever was was with them watching the game and had, is watching both teams for the first time, and they're like, okay, who am I watching? And he said, well, this this guy, you know, um, a lot of draft people think he's a top five pick. And then like Jacoby gets blown by defensively by five different players, including Kyle Filipowski, who like never blows by anyone. So it was like that yeah. game. I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, no, that's like, I mean, I, again, if Dalton Connect can become a better defender, I have no issues. Yeah. With Jacoby Walter being able to figure it out and, and yeah, work. On I don't, it. I don't think it's terrible. And I think there's like moments where it looks good too, which I think is another thing where like, I'm a little bit more likely to believe that you'll be able to do it if I see you do it from time to time. And there've been moments where I've seen him like slide his feet, stick with guys, put his chest on yeah. day long. Like I, I think it's a consistency issue. And I think he needs to be focused on like staying a little bit lighter at the point of attack so that when guys who are a little bit twitchier and quicker than him, like make that initial move, he's a little bit more ready to react. And yeah, instead of kind of being heavy on his feet, but I don't think that's like unteachable. Like I, I and think he recovers okay. well. It's not like, I mean, mm-hmm. this isn't LaMelo ball out here guarding guys. Like he recovers well when, mm-hmm. when he does get, beat. yeah, I don't know. And I don't think he gets beat as often as like Jet Howard got beat last year. And I say that as someone who was like Correct. an ardent Jet defender. Like I, yeah. like there's there's differences. And like I'm not totally concerned about where Jacoby's at on defense. But let, let's put a bow on him. Let's move on to Bazellus. Um, by the time most of you are listening to this, my column will be up on NoSingsNBA.com. Um, modest Bazellus in the path to big money. Uh, basically, the the theme that I went with here is that I think to just do draft philosophy real quick. I think when teams are drafting, you need to find value. And that looks different to different teams. It's like for Denver this past year, it was like value for them is guys that can contribute on cost controlled contracts. But I think for most teams, value is let's get the guys when we have sort of a captive player pool, we can select a player and not have to negotiate. Let's get a guy that's going to be tough to get later on that we'll have to trade a lot of picks to get that we'd have to give a lot of money to in free agency. Get those guys while you can get them. Um, and I think that modest Buzelis is going to be one of those guys, a, a guy that you'd have to pay big money to down the road to acquire him or give up a lot to acquire him in a trade. Um, and I think that just having that sort of upside makes him worth a little bit more, uh, than a lot of other guys that might have dicier floors in this draft. Um, first thing I want to touch on with Buzelis, actually, let's, let's do this first. You've, you've gotten to see the ignite up close this year. Did you get to see him before the injury or after the injury at all? I did. Yeah, I was down okay. at the G League showcase um, right before Great. Christmas. And then mm-hmm. um, obviously I saw him when they played Perth in yeah. September um, for their first couple games. Um, 
and he did not play. In the, in the you saw some rough Dallas like, games. <laughs> you did yes. not see. You did not see him at his best. Uh, yeah. But did you have any like initial takeaways on on Buzelis after just seeing him in person? No, I I will say this about Modest, and you know I'm I'm a fan of his. Um, I know people are either hit or miss with mm-hmm. him. Um, I think you know defensively he gets a lot of criticism for you know, not being able to guard the perimeter. Like he's saying he wants to be a point forward and he's got to get out and and guard the perimeter off the switch. And yeah, he does get caught every now and then, but the timing on his blocking, especially playing in the G league has Mm -hmm. been the most impressive part defensively of his game. And then also just his grab and go Scott style and just the confidence to have the ball in his hands and, and push the break or his passing. I think his outlet passing has been, really impressive um you know and and that's the speed of the the g league game like it's more of i mean it's polished i I don't want to i don't want this to sound bad but it is it's it's very fast paced it's like polished yeah high level pickup ball yeah i mean that's kind of a fair fair? like okay it's it's fair because like it is the there's a very transient nature of the league where it is a lot of this guy's in this guy's out this guy's back with our big club this guy's back on a two-way yeah these this guy just got picked up like it's hard to walk run. the ball up run yeah. set yeah yeah it's hard to do that like just based on how much is happening from a transactional standpoint all the time um yeah so i i think where i'm higher on bazelis than a lot of people is i i kind of like the defense I especially like it off the ball. The on ball I get. Like the on ball is tricky. Like he gets pushed around a lot. Yeah. Like guys just bully him right now, especially like bigger dudes like Mason Jones. I'm like, there's one play where Mason Jones isn't tall, but he's strong and just like pushed his way to the bucket. Um, a lot of guys have had success with that against him. His feet need to be a little bit better. I'm not sure. I love the hips. He has the best like combined steal and block rate that any of the Ignite prospects have had. He is one of the top wing shot blockers in the G League. I think he does a really good job of just recognizing what the offense is trying to do and getting in position. And again, like he's a guy who has to get stronger. The frame isn't awesome. Like the measurables aren't great. Like he's a guy with like a flat wingspan. I will say this though. Mm. When I saw him in September, sorry to cut you off, but to talk about his frame um, and he looked visibly stronger. And I said, I said, Mm -hmm. modest, like how much weight have you put on? Because it was obviously muscle mass. And he said 22 pounds yeah. from, from, you know, March of last year to the start of the season. So mm-hmm. there is that, there is that ability to add weight and add yeah. muscle and he is going to get stronger. Yes. Continue. I completely agree. And I, I even think like coming back from injury, he looked bigger than he did before. Like I yeah. think he looks bigger in the more recent games and yeah, I, I think he's going to figure it out. I, but yeah, just to be quite frank, like I, I think the defense is going to be pretty good. Like I think he, it's yeah. six ten, being able to cover smaller players. Like once he gets a little bit stronger, which is completely correctable, a lot of the stuff feels coachable. Like I, I think he's going to be pretty good on the defensive side of the ball, especially with just how sharp he is mentally. Um, offensively, I'm, I'm like a little bit confused at times. So, uh. Great shooting tracker coming in. His shot poorly this year, but is now starting to really hit. He was 22% in the showcase games, and now in the regular season games, he's up to like 29. Uh, But over the last couple, he's been hitting more and more and more. Um, What is your concern level about the shot? Like, do you just buy the shooting priors, or are you like, 
he might just be okay or are you like uh oh he might not be able to shoot i i haven't seen i mean do i wish there was a more fluid shooting motion yes but i can say that about a lot of players in this draft class um I'm not necessarily concerned about the shot itself, maybe the shot selection at times, um, you know, but it like with the G League, it's so hard to scout these kids, one, because they're not winning any games. And so you're looking at and 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 like you talk to them afterwards. I talked to Modest mm -hmm. after I talked to Modest, Ron and Tyler Smith, like after they lost. I think every game in the, in the G league showcase, the three, two or three games that they played. And I said, how do you guys keep going? Like it's a, it's an honest question because yeah. it gets to a point where like all of these NBA scouts are like coming to watch you and your games are essentially unwatchable. So it's like hard to, it's hard to really scout for the next level when the games are so incredibly lopsided. I mean, you look at the you you still look at the box score, and Ron Holland was flirting with like a triple double last week. Um, but you you watch the game, and it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, you know, because somebody has to score. So mm -hmm. Ron's going to take twenty shots, and you know, Modest is is going to put. I I want to say like the best game that I saw from Modest was that one of the first games he came back where he had the game winner, and it was like. Mm -hmm. The ball in his the ball was in his hands. He was confident, but it's just so hard to scout these ignite players because the games are so hard to watch. That's a very common sentiment, I would say. <laughs> like that's something I, I you hear a lot of. Like there are always going to be teams that people and organizations don't necessarily like watching, and sometimes it's just like a stylistic thing, right? Like there there are scouts that are like, oh, you know, I don't in the past, I don't like to watch Syracuse because they're going to play yeah. zone and zone. it's tough to gain anything about their players. It's frustrating because if you're watching the other team, you're watching them play against the defense. They're not going to see the next level. People are not enjoying uh, watching the Ignite this year. And I think a lot of it is their roster construction being so prospect heavy. Um, even with like an Eric Miko, who's like a very well-respected player, it's like not a rim-protecting player on that roster he's not even really? player like, he's not even play. well, he's he, injured like, this his, year yeah towards ACL, yeah 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 so like even when he's there it's just like all right well still like not a rim protecting center like the point guard play had been really rough before north school got brought in like it's it's a hard watch and it's hard to know how to uh how much stock to put into what these players are doing well and what they're doing poorly i think i think um, a lot of it well we're saying all this and I still have both of them in my top 10. So who cares? Yeah. But yeah. I think, I think uh, a lot of the G league ignite players, a lot will be determined more so in the pre-draft process when teams can bring them in, when they, you know, show off their skills and during mm -hmm. a pro day, like I think the pre-draft process for these ignite players is really going to either make or break them in any sort of way mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think that's completely reasonable um the other thing with bizell is i think he's actually done pretty well with his the, the finishing like his finishing numbers again compared to passing night prospects are, are pretty good um again the strength issue shows up there but like to me it's like oh he's gonna he's gonna keep getting stronger and like his touch really wilts against contact like even ron holland who's like you know slight of frame as well He's done a really good job of keeping his touch when he meets yeah. physicality at the rim. And, and Bazellus hasn't quite done that, um, but he does have the ups. He can get up, finish above the rim, dunk it. Uh, so I like that. 
the one thing that I was really surprised by, just based on like, I, I, I try not to like look at stats a ton throughout the course of the season and go a little bit more eye test when I can, uh, was just seeing the assist to turnover numbers for him mm-hmm. before I started to kind of dive in um, and seeing that on the year he has a negative assist to turnover ratio. So um, I've always kind of liked the passing. Like you mentioned, like the, the hit ahead, the, the outlet passing stuff, like that's good. I had noticed throughout the year, he always kind of struggled against contact, like picks up his dribble when he gets bumped at times. Um, but uh, I sort of liked his decision-making. Like I never felt like at times, Hey, this guy's a poor decision-maker. Uh, so I did what every normal person does. And I watched all of his turnovers from this season and made a pie chart uh, of, of his turnovers uh, for the article. And one of the things I, that I noticed is that the biggest cause of Monas Bazell's turnovers are the happy feet turnovers where he catches the ball in a spot up setting and just takes too many steps before he puts the ball on the floor. And to me, like part of that is like, ah, like you got, you got to get rid of that. Um, but I also just wonder how much of that is that context of this messy roster construction and the, like somebody's got a score and it's his pre-draft season and there's all this pressure on him. Like, is that what's getting him sped up? You've obviously spent a lot of time evaluating a lot of players. When you see somebody that's turning it over and the main cause is like, they just catch the ball and they run. Uh, do you feel that that's more fixable? Is that something that gives you cause for concern? Like, how does that make you feel knowing that that is the biggest cause of, of his turnovers on the year? I mean, it's, 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 it's a mental lapse. That's the way I read it. And then also, I mean, I was at practice at the very beginning of the season and they had to break both modest and Ron um, out of these ticky tack habits that they had, particularly in the corner wing spot where, immediately because the two of them were so quick in their first step in high school and they can just, you know, use that to their advantage. So they never caught, you know, completely square. They always caught on the way, like they were going no matter what. And so what was happening because of the spacing is as soon as they were catching the ball in the wing, their right foot was immediately going back. So instead of being like here, it was staggered mm -hmm. and they were stepping out of bounds every single time. So to mentally break those type of habits that they've had, and I mean, there's probably been times throughout Modest's career where he wasn't called for those little steps that they do. I see it all the time in high school basketball, mm-hmm. especially in shooters, where it's like they get the they get the pass, and then they like they take extra steps. I'm like, we're we're just not calling that anymore. So <laughs> I don't know if these are just like bad habits that they're over time gonna have to mm-hmm. eliminate. But these little happy feet sort of turnovers are not nearly as glaring as like dribble, dribble, dribble 15 times and yeah. run into traffic or put up a shot. Yeah. So that, so that was the other thing that I was going to get you next is the, the other big culprit of his turnovers. Uh, so the two, the two big categories were travel, happy feet travels and then his handle, um, which he gets stripped quite a bit um, because the dribble comes wide. So sometimes it's like the guy on the ball is just like able to poke it loose. Other times it's someone helping it's digging, it's swiping. Um, how do you feel about his handle at this point? And do you think like, cause to me where I get a little nervous about that is just like projecting forward. Is he a guy that can be uh a Gordon Hayward type, like secondary initiator playmaker, or if like the handle's not there, like he might just not be able to be that guy. He might be a guy then that's like your fourth option on offense and is more catch and shoot, more cutting. Like 
how how are you feeling about the handle at this stage? I mean, it, it here's the thing, and people don't realize this, like when these young kids, because they're kids, when they mm -hmm. go yeah. match up against these hungry sharks in the G League that are fighting to keep food on their table for their families, fighting to get back on a roster spot in the NBA, they see an 18, 19 year old, 6'10, 6'11, dribbling high, dribbling wide. Like, of course they're gonna go after that and try to strip it. So Mm -hmm. I think these are just like growing pains for him sure. and it's, it's glaring that he's having to learn them in the G league as opposed to playing against peers in college. And I don't think he would be asked to have that freedom to be more of a creator in college. He'd be more structured as a four, I think, you know, in different half court sets, but mm -hmm. with the spacing in the G league and, and in the NBA, it's kind of, it's, it's not bad that he's getting these reps as a ball handler, because let's be honest, the Ignite aren't going to win the G League championship. So You don't think so? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I get the emails every every single game, and it's always mm. like, poor Dermonte, the guy that runs PR for them, he's, he's having to find different uh, synonyms for lost. So it's oh, like, no. Ignite falls in series <laughs> to whoever, mm -hmm. or Ignite comes up short. Again, you know, and I'm just like, oh, okay, let's let's read this. Let's look at the box. Okay, man, that's tough. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, but I yeah. So the the big takeaway, I came away kind of feeling better about the turnovers. So like you said, it, the, the traveling thing is sort of a mental lapse thing. Um, I do worry about the handle just in terms of more like his upside rather than like, uh oh, I think he's gonna be a boss. Like I don't think it's that big of a problem. Um, he struggles against. It's contact. too early to tell on anyone. Like I was yeah, just talking yeah, yeah, to yeah. a scout about this last night. Like we were talking about players and that are rookies this year and, and it's like it's way too early like we for sure we don't that's you know what's so beautiful beautiful about the draft and this is why i love covering it we don't know anything we don't know a single thing we can project all we want i can make mock drafts every day for the next five months and be completely wrong about every single person <laughs> and like I'm mm -hmm. not going to lose my job over it because I'm not the one at the end of the day making the call to Adam Silver and saying, we want this player. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. So well, it's like, way too early to say, okay, his turnovers are going to be problematic in the NBA. We yeah. don't know. He's 19. No Nobody clue. knows. Nobody and knows. I actually feel, and like, yeah, what I came away from the exercise feeling is I actually feel good about his turnovers now because they all feel really correctable. He only had six of the 37 turnovers related to passing. Like he doesn't make bad decisions. So it's like, yeah, he's turning it over, but like, he's going to get stronger. He's going to get more adapted to the speed of the game. Like the happy feet stuff is going to go away. He's going to get better playing through contact. Like, this is a turnover like does not trip me up nearly as much as I anticipated after like doing a deep dive on it. So where I end up with modest is I see a guy who's six foot 10 that has a solid shooting track record that I think can be at least a decent jump shooter in the NBA has the speed to get where he wants to go in a straight line can finish above the rim really knows what he's doing off the ball defensively. I think as he gets stronger, he'll be better on the ball to the point where he at least isn't like hunted as a, I'm going to plow through him target. Like to me, this is a guy that's going to make a lot of money in the NBA. Uh, and even if like the best outcomes don't happen, I think the value proposition is really strong as a six ten guy that can do all the things that he does. So I, I still like modest quite a bit. Yeah. He's fine. I like him too. <laughs> He's fine. I like him too. We'll, we'll make a graphic for the socials <laughs> that say that that's how we'll promote the show. So we're going to take our final break. We're going to be back and talk some sleepers on the other side.
All right. So the big one I want to get into uh, on the uh, sicko session here as we get into our sleepers is a player that you brought up, AJ Johnson on the Illawarra Hawks. Uh, he is a person that a lot of people on our staff are still holding stock on. And I like, I'm kind of out as a this year guy. So I want to hear the pitch. Like, what are you seeing with AJ Johnson that you are are still buying in? Because it's, it's been okay. a really adjustment for him with the physicality of the NBL. Yes. All right. I went, I went to Australia. I went and saw all those kids. I saw, I saw Alex Starr. I saw AJ. I saw Trenton Flowers. I saw Bobby Clintman. I saw Alex Tui. Um, I even saw your dude from the NZ Breakers. I mean, I watched him play mm -hmm. against the Kings. Um, and let me say this about AJ Johnson. He is in a situation there that's not ideal for him to get the reps that he needs to show his upside as an NBA prospect. And what I am doing is like, cause I went to practices, um, Jason Tatum's father, Justin Tatum is the head coach there. He took, mm -hmm. he took over about a quarter away the season and Justin was with AJ all summer. They worked out at, uh, uh, Joe Bunasar's gym impact in Las Vegas during summer league. Uh, and, and he looked fantastic. And so I go down there to Australia. He only played, um, eight minutes a game. Didn't, they were having him run sideline to sideline. He didn't have a lot of action with the ball in his hands because they have two other point guards that are older and more established and have been playing in the MBL for a lot longer. And so they're using AJ's length to their advantage on the wing, which isn't mm -hmm. where he's best. So then you go to practice and you see them in different two-on-two uh, -two sets. You see them in PNR options. You see them in scrimmages where he does have the ball in his hands. Completely different player. So what I've been doing is encouraging scouts when they go over there, don't just go to a game, go to a practice. You will see him way more reps, way more opportunities. You can see what he can do, uh, particularly from three-point range, you know, with his length and the way he can shoot mm -hmm. the ball off the screen he's really good off the dribble and we saw that in a game I mean he only had 11 points I think he played he had 11 points in 14 minutes he went three for three from three-point range one was a deep three one was off the dribble and the other one was like with a defender in his face so like I see those intangibles and I see his upside and I see a draft like this and I see a team in the back half of the first round who have the room the wiggle room to be a draft and stash and if he hits in a couple years, great. If he doesn't, mm -hmm. send him on his way. But yeah. just the size at 6'6", and what he can do with the ball in his hands and the passing is you got to at least take a look at it, you know? That's interesting. Yeah, because I – like the, the stuff that's inside my notes, and it's been – he's been much more productive since that coaching change that you mentioned, like, and they're letting him like bring the ball up the floor and he looks really comfortable with the ball in his hands. And he started to make more threes. I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not like out, out on him for the year. Um, I just want to see a bit more, but I, yeah, to your credit and, and to his credit, like I do think he has a lot of polish with the ball in his hands for somebody that size and the physicality issue gets brought up a lot, but I think he's shown a lot of toughness. Like, is he struggling at the rim? Yeah. But like, does he ever stop short of the rim? Is he afraid to go to the rim? No. Like he's he's mm -hmm. just kind of playing through it. And I think that's really admirable. I'll tell you one more thing. I was at Chris Paul's point guard camp. This is two years ago when um, AJ was there. And Chris is so great because he will get some of his, well, at the time it was um, Sun's teammates that came in. So it was like Devin Booker, it was him. 
it was like a hodgepodge of like guards that came in because it was just a guard camp. Um, and AJ, uh, Chris was guarding him in transition and AJ put this move on him and finished at the rim. And Chris just goes, he's like, damn, I guarded that perfectly. He's like, he's going to be a problem. So you see, like he's getting, he's getting nods from guys that have been in the league forever, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and the the NBA scouts were there. And I just, listen, in the draft, it takes one team, one team, one team to fall in love. Like there, there are teams, Kaishan Georgia at, at Miami comes off the bench, plays limited minutes. Teams are like falling in love with him, you know? So it's like, I think when AJ gets back stateside and he starts working out with teams, teams are going to be like, oh, this is what you can do. Oh, sorry, we missed this, you know? <laughs> and I don't know. But you're right. Like, I'm not I'm not here to, like, convince someone that he's going to be this all-star, whatever, 2.0 player, 6-6 point guard. But I'm just saying, like, I'm not out on him yet because I've seen it in yeah. person. I've seen the reps in practice and his potential. And I like the upside of what I saw. But For if you sure. just, I get it. I get why people are out. <laughs> For sure. So let's, let's stick within the NBL. We'll go to one of my guys here. You're gonna have to help me with the pronunciation because you've been over here. Montes Ripstavicius. Is that right? Did I get it? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Cool. Sure. Uh, that's great. We'll call him Montes. Uh, he's been really good. He's been playing with the breakers. Uh, 21 years old, going to be 22 on draft night. So he's, he's not like, the upside play that AJ is. This is a little bit more like, let's take a guy and see if he can do something right away in the second round. Uh, He is really shooting the ball in the NBL this year. So he's 53% from the field, 45.2% from three, always been a good free throw shooter overseas at 80% from the free uh, free throw line this year. Uh, But just a lefty who is long with a really high stroke. Um, but he's also got some like downhill juice. Like I think he's pretty slick with his first step. I like how he gets to the rim. He's tough at the basket. Um, floor mapping is pretty solid. Some nice like spray outs when he gets to the basket and there's not an easy finish right there. Seems like a guy who knows how to play within the flow of the offense. The in-between game isn't like really there. Like he's not a guy that like has a move to get to a spot in the mid range and do anything. Uh, again, like he's a little bit older than some of these guys defensively i was pretty low on him based on the prior overseas tape uh heading into the year but i like what he's done this year i think he's changing direction pretty well in space when it's a rotation uses length while guarding the ball and like he's just kind of up to the task physically like he'll just randomly lay his body on guys off the ball which i i like to see i think he's a tough player um to me i I think his stock is going to kind of depend on on how this draft shakes out and like who stays and who goes um, but I think he's like a really interesting player that if I'm like a more competitive team or even just a team that like needs competent bodies on the wing, like that's rebuilding, like he's a guy that it would be tough to, to get past at a certain point. Um, how, how have you felt about Montes's game? I have not watched a lot of him, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I saw him, well, they got killed when they came here in preseason to play the jazz. Mm-hmm. Nobody played well in that game. But the game against the Sydney Kings, I mean, he definitely was one of those players that, you know, is way more physical, uh, you know, defensively. And like you said, like he got to his spots. He's a very smart cutter off the ball. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he didn't necessarily shoot at a high rate, but he was like smart with his shot selection. So like you said, like if you are looking like he's a competent wing, great. Sure. I'll, 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 I'll take a swing at him. Fine. <laughs> Especially in this draft, like sure. there, I was I was yeah, talking to yeah. an NBA guy, and he's like, 
KP, you could probably give me a list of 30 names and make a reasonable case of why they should be drafted here. Mm -hmm. And I would agree with you. I'd be like, yeah, you're right. That could happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, this draft is going to be all over the place. That was the weirdest part of doing our like consensus group mock draft a couple weeks ago. It was like at a certain point, a lot of the picks, everyone's just like, yeah, that's, that's fine. Sure, and then other fine. ones, it's like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Not that guy there. But yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> we're going to jump because your last one is, is really exciting. So we're going to do my other guy first. who's not quite as exciting. Uh, Jalen Bridges from Baylor was the other guy I wanted to bring up. Six foot seven wing. Uh, one of those guys who I think just knows how to play a role. Uh, it hasn't been awesome as like a cutter this year, but that's something he's shown in the past. What I've liked the most uh, from his game from a growth standpoint is the shooting, taking career high 4.73s per game, almost 38% from the field. Uh, on those threes but I thought he's made big leaps as a connective passer too like sharper with swinging the ball doing a better job of putting it on the deck running a little bit of pick and roll action like before I was kind of lower on him I was like nah this is a guy maybe you get as an undrafted that can shoot okay and like is athletic and, and plays defense but I think he's shown that he can do do some stuff with the ball and be trusted to make decisions and that's a, a that's kind of bumped him up into like the the upper part of my second round, middle part of my second round. Um, any strong Jalen Bridges takes at this stage in the game? Okay. I also too love Jalen Bridges, but I loved okay. him as a high school prospect. I liked him at West Virginia. And then when he transferred to Baylor, I was like, yes, this is a perfect mm -hmm. spot for him. And when I was at practice in the fall, I mean, he physically looked stronger. He added some muscle from last season. He was shooting the ball better. I mean, he just looks a lot more settled this year and more of a leader. And I think he's really taken his role as like, Hey, young buck, Jacoby Walter, let me show you the ropes here. Like, let me, let me be that good older teammate that, you know, can really encourage you and challenge you. And we can, you know, grow together alongside each other because both of them shot the ball very well in that, you know, last second loss to Texas. Um, I think they, mm -hmm. they both, I don't, I don't know, combined for nine threes that game. So you're yeah. seeing, and he's more of like a catch and shoot three point threat. I don't know with his size, mm -hmm. if he's like as, as like sexy as an NBA prospect as NBA teams would want, because he's, you know, there's a Jalen Bridges every which way and in between. But like you said, like yeah. in the middle of the second round, pick him up, give him a shot on a two way on, on like a, uh, give him a chance, see what he can do at summer league. Maybe he's one of those mm -hmm. guys that, you know, really comes around and becomes a secondary unit. Um, someone that can contribute right away in your secondary unit. Great. I like Jalen. Yeah. I've always liked yeah. him. I've always liked him. For sure. And and the other thing I like about him too, and like, this is sounds obvious, but like he's listed at six, seven. And like, that's like basically what he measured at, at elite camp. Like he is like just under six, seven without shoes. He's got a six ten wingspan, like big standing reach. Like, 215 pounds, like just measured and built like a pro, which I, I like to see. Um, Wait, can we hold on, hold on, hold on. Can we go to the chat? Because I have to address this. Yeah. Adam Hurley, he's like, she looks like a genie bus lookalike. Okay. Yes. I, this is not the first time somebody said this to me. I mm -hmm. was at freaking peach jam sitting with NBA scouts and I had a referee walk up to me and he's like, Hey, what's your name? And I'm like, what? He's like, what's your name? And I said, Kristen. And he's like, oh, I thought you were Jeannie Buss. 
Okay. <laughs> that is not a compliment to me. I'm like a lot younger, but I get, she looks great and she's very successful. So thank you, Adam, for pointing that out again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, Seth Rogen like if that makes you feel any better at least it like <laughs> at least it, yeah at least it's not like you look like the ugly guy in comedy movies like that's what I get so it could be worse it could be worse uh okay maybe but, like you could say she looks like Jeannie Bus from 20 years ago that'd be there, nicer yeah, Go on. so yeah keep that in mind if you when you guys meet Kristen <laughs> Peake in person at some point uh the first okay. thing we want to close with here is Kanan Carlisle who is like yes red hot right now and like a name very that, red hot uh is like picking up really serious momentum in front offices too i feel like uh, um what are you seeing with kate and carlisle and like how i i know you mentioned like you're, you're putting out this mock draft soon like where where are you at with kate and carlisle uh mid first round i'm swinging for the fences Ooh. with him he Listen, it's it's January. I I'm like this isn't going to be my final mock before June. Like if a yeah, player yeah. is playing well, like give him his roses, man. Like he is doing everything right for Stanford right now. A little turnover prone. He had 11 turnovers combined in the last two games, but he had mm -hmm. 31 points. He 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 uh broke the freshman scoring record. He is a bucket getter. He's playing way more confidently, getting to any spot he wants to on the court finishing through contact like he I, it's unbelievable to see what these overtime elite kids have done after leaving OTE and you know you 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 kind of speculate like oh okay was that the development and now they're they're um competing at a high level or what because we're seeing it with Alex Sar we're seeing it with Tyler Smith we're seeing it with Ethan Amonta and we're also mm -hmm. seeing it with Kate with Kanan Carlisle and Rob Dillingham those are five <laughs> players that are can be first round picks that came out of the overtime elite program. But I would say what Kanan has done in the last month, he's become an instant impact freshman in the country for Stanford. He's helping them win. He's competing at a high level. And for that, I'm going to give you your first round roses and prove me wrong yeah. the rest of the season. Fine. Yeah. So uh, this is a question I want to ask you. It's something I'm curious about, and it's something I, I wonder about a lot of small guards. Um, he's listed at 6'3. What do you think he measures at at the combine when they measure him barefoot? Not 6'3. Okay, that's yeah, because that was like part of my concern on the film. Is he looks a, a little bit diminutive? Neither but him or really Rob Dillingham will measure at 6'3, but they might dodge yeah. the they, they I mean, they're they could be Rob's gonna be a lottery pick. I mean, he doesn't even have mm -hmm. to, he can dodge measurements if he wants, yeah um one thing i've liked about carlisle is like he's blocking shots like a surprising clip like he does have that pop to him which is yeah. kind of surprising uh but yeah the scoring is just dynamite like he's outrageous um you've seen more of him at lower levels than i have how concerned are you about the passing and is that something that you think comes around because like from my perspective as someone who doesn't uh get to, get to kind of see as much of that um i see him as like okay awesome score i get it there's moments of the passing and then sometimes you like just try to force a ball somewhere where I'm like, no, nope, don't, don't do that. Uh, do you think that could just be the fact that he's kind of just getting thrown into this role? Kind of at a critical juncture in the season where you're playing these PAC 12 teams right away. Or is this something that historically he's always had a little bit of trouble with the, the passing? He's ball? always historically had a little bit of trouble, you know, in terms of uh, just throwing through contact. 
but that's not necessarily like he's also played with players that notoriously have bad hands at the post position. So mm-hmm. um, I don't I don't know. Like sometimes you see these players and, you know, they do these zip passes and they just get to where they want to be like Kanan historically hasn't had that like immediate success where it's like, OK, yeah, that got to where <laughs> we all thought it would be. But I'm not I, like, again, I'm not overly concerned about it. I'm not going to knock the kid for it. For sure. I, yeah, I think that's more than fair. So we're going to wrap it up right there. Kristen, thank you so much for for taking the time to to come on the show. For people that aren't already following you, where can they find you on, on social media and follow your work? You can follow the Genie Bus Lookalike, aka me, um, <laughs> at Kristen Peak on Twitter and Instagram, or read all my stuff on Yahoo Sports. I'm dropping a mock uh, tomorrow, so Monday, mm-hmm. January 22nd. Yep, a lot so of go hot check takes. that out. Absolutely. Yeah. It'll be up by the time a lot of you guys are listening to this. So make sure you go check that out. Make sure you're following no ceilings at no ceilings NBA. Make sure you're following me at bound boards and make sure you're subscribed to our Substack no ceilings NBA.com as well as no ceilings NBA dot uh, no ceilings NBA podcast feed. So that'll do it. Kristen, thank you again so much for joining us and we'll see you all next week.